This is Working Tech, where we talk about how tech can work harder so we can work better. Because hardly working isn't an option. Hundreds of companies that claim some kind of AI capability, but what they're really doing is building mathematical models of the world and then running those models millions of times to end up with predictions. Working Tech is brought to you by Talent Board, the first nonprofit research organization focused on the elevation and promotion of a quality candidate experience. Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research helps employers around the world improve recruiting, candidate experience, and the business bottom line. Learn more at thetalentboard.org. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin W. Grossman, creator and co-founder of the Working Tech Podcast and one of the co-hosts. Bill and I welcome you to our podcast series where we'll talk about all things tech and the working world around us, including HR, recruiting, and related technologies. Enjoy this conversation co-host Kevin W. Grossman have with John Semzer, Principal Analyst for HR Examiner, an independent analyst firm covering HR technology and the intersection of people, tech, and work. John, thank you so much for being on Working Tech. First and foremost, why the HR Examiner? Why was it founded? And I remember way back in the day when I was with HR Marketer, helping you um, kind of help co-promote that and, and get that, build that off the ground. What were some of your early ideations compared to what you've accomplished there today? Well, in the beginning, I'd spent 15 years writing every day about recruiting for InterBusiness. I sold InterBusiness in, God, must have been 2004, 2005, mm -hmm. and, and thought, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I was just bored out of my mind. But, <laughs> but, but I'd signed an agreement or two that said I couldn't write about recruiting and compete with the old business until it was successful or failure, you know, five years out. And so... I started HR Examiner as a way of continuing to write about the broader HR technology industry. Mm -hmm. It began, you might remember, it began with a series that I could never finish to, to profile oh, yeah. in detail the top 100 people in the industry. Yes, I do remember and, that. And that's out there somewhere still. <laughs> you, you, you know, it, I think I got to 92. Oh, did you? Um, I was. I didn't remember how far you got. Yeah, but. yeah. I got pretty far down the road, but but I ran out of things to say. It's it's <laughs> you know, and and I am. I, I these days I've been I've been noticing that there are a whole lot of people who are very eloquent and emphatic and don't say anything. Yeah. And and what I do when I run out of things to say is I shut up. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I try to do that too. I, I hear you on that. Yeah. You know, now I don't know that very many people would believe that I've actually found that threshold. <laughs> I, I'm not known for being quiet or unopinionated. But in that particular project to identify the 100 most influential people in HR technology in 2007, I think it was, 
like me, you're an old dog in the HR recruiting technology space. You just covered some of that in that bit that we just discussed about the origins of HR Examiner. So just kind of briefly, high level, one or two things. What's changed in your opinion and what's remained the same as when it relates to um, the tech space and recruiting in HR? Oh, man, everything has changed. I teach a, a class in the local law school with my wife on social media and internet law. and And last night, we had the first class of this next semester. And, and Heather, my wife, was talking about the first time that we taught the class and how the entire class was focused on Google+. And there were, there were a ton of students in this classroom, none of them knew what Google+, was. Right. It's it, so. So what's happened in the last ten years is we've gone from a time when there was no Google Plus right. to the time when there was a Google Plus to a time where there's no Google Plus, and and so things have changed that much. Uh, ten years ago, there wasn't really social media, and today, uh, many people spend huge amounts of their time using social media, and it's become a communications platform for branding in HR and recruiting that didn't exist before. Right. You know, and at the same time, so, so, so I, I work out with a guy named Hector. Hector helps me stay in shape. And he was talking about hiring people for the local gym, right? He needs to hire two people. And he hired a consultant. I live in a little town called Sebastopol that's got 7,500 people in it. He hired a consultant in Sebastopol who could help him write job postings and decide where to place those job postings. Ten years ago, nobody knew how to do that, right? And now there's some, there's some local person who does that for California wages, you know, but, but they um, make a living doing that in a little town, helping people get things right on Craigslist. Fascinating. I've been drinking the Kool-Aid for about 10 years when I first started diving into the social media pool. And I always love telling the story that when I first set up, the first thing I did was set up a profile on MySpace. So I remember signing up and I just had no idea what I was doing. And I set up a profile, which was fairly easy. And then within about 15 minutes, I was propositioned. We'll just leave it at that. And I thought, this is what this is about. Of course, it Things. It was. It, it exactly was. Well, yeah. I mean, and 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 um, that I kind of dumped that one, but it kind of evolved since then. But um, and it is fascinating to see even smaller communities how. And I know, I mean, Santa Cruz is kind of an anomaly, but it, compared to the rest of Silicon Valley, it's still this backwater surfer pot smoking, right. pot smoking town. There's a lot of stuff going on, not just in social media, but in technology going on here that you you don't hear a lot about, right? Uh, otherwise. So speaking of hot topics, you cover a lot of uh, a wide range of, of interesting topics. I know there's a technology focus in the HR examiner, but there's lots of other HR related topics that you focus on. So what are some of the, the topics of late and per your even your everyday conversations that you've been focused on in the HR examiner with the other writers that you have too? Well, you, you know, you can't escape the diversity and inclusion questions. That, that, that is the centerpiece of contemporary HR right now. And, and there's a really big question about how complicit is the HR department in the perpetuation of sexual harassment and bullying in right. the workplace. Right. So, so that's a big deal. Privacy, 
I think if we were to do this again this time next year, the story of 2018 would be privacy. What do you say that? Uh, GDPR, the the European Union privacy regulation, oh, right, right. Uh, which which is about protecting the privacy of European citizens. If you um, violate the law and they come after you, the fines are four percent of revenue or twenty million dollars, whichever is higher, and it goes into effect on the twenty eighth of May, and. You are required to be able to find all of the information you have about a European citizen and delete it. And so now imagine that, that you are in recruiting and you've got these great talent pipeline tools and CRMs that get you little detailed email lists. And maybe you've used some of this advocacy software that allows, um, department managers to build small mailing lists to do employment branding with prospects for the department. And Sally Van Platten from Amsterdam sends you a note to your marketing department saying, you need to delete every reference to me. I want to be forgotten by your company. There's no central tool for figuring out who's got her email address and who's got her phone number and who's got her address. And so complying with the law is going to be very, very difficult. And you run the risk of Sally Von Platten says, forget me, you send her the confirmation note back that says we've forgotten you. And a week later, she gets an email from from a list from somebody who you didn't know had her email address. That's a violation of the law with a 4% of revenue penalty associated with it if caught and prosecuted. Right. Well, that's going to be, that's also part of the equation too, though, right? Of being, if caught and prosecuted. But I think just there will be enough of a, of a legal sticky wicket. Well, typically American companies have treated this problem exactly the way you just described. We'll wait and see who they, right? right? Because this regulation, the, the actual content of the regulation isn't that new. And American companies just simply ignored it. They simply ignored it. And right. so, so when the new regulation goes into effect, you can predict with certainty that the EU is going to be merciless in its discovery of people who are in violation and find them. And the result of the fine is you can't do business in Europe. Right. Well, they've already been, I mean, they've gone after some of the big kids on the block in, in recent memory as well. Um, fines against Google about search and yeah, this is going to be worse. This is yeah. going to be significantly worse. So anyhow, and, and, and we don't really know. The, you know, one of the things that happens is we create personal identifying information. If you are, as many companies do, tracking cross-platform utilization of devices to interact with your system, mm-hmm. which, which sophisticated employment branding operations do, they want to know that, that Sam on the iPad is the same as Sam on the desktop. And so they keep data about the two devices and two device addresses constitutes personal identifying information. And so you'd have to be able to understand where that was and delete it to be in compliance with the law. And that's really interesting. That's really interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. That's the next thing. 
Yeah, no, I no, I appreciate that insight. I know that as of over a year ago in the talent board research that we do, when we ask candidates about their recruiting and hiring experiences, we stop collecting any identifiers whatsoever. We were only collecting email addresses before anyway, but we stopped doing that over a year ago, knowing what was coming. So, keeping well, so so an interesting question you might ask your web server people is how do you track the um, internet address of people who come to your website because that constitutes personal information. You know, that's true. And I'm, yeah, and I'm getting that even on my own personal um, uh, daddy parenting blog too that I write that I'm, because it's a Google blog and a blogger blog. And I've been getting that notice popping up for months now saying, you need to make sure that this is uh, so. Thanks, Sean. You just reminded me I got to take care of some. <laughs> well, <there> you <laughs> could, you, could you pick up some milk at the store? Honey? I know exactly, <laughs> right? Hey, hey, listen. I want to jump to your latest uh, indus- industry analysis titled "The 2018 Index of Predictive Tools in HR Tech," and it's it's really a, a, a very intelligent, refreshing read. I highly recommend it. We'll talk about how to get it at the end of the podcast, but. First and foremost, and I saw you speak about this as well at the Recruiting Trends and Talent Tech Conference last November. What struck me is that, and I know even going back into my entrance into this, into the HR recruiting tech space back in 99, we've been talking about AI and artificial intelligence and HR and recruiting technology. But it's really, even to date, it's not really true artificial intelligence. You call it mostly complex statistics. Can you expound on that for a bit? Sure. As part of the research for this report, I went and talked to the heads of the AI departments at MIT, Stanford, and Berkeley. And I asked them, um, I had an hour conversation with each of them, and I asked them what they thought artificial intelligence was. And they said, artificial intelligence is when you can ask a machine for a cup of coffee and it can tell you no. Or you can have a conversation with a machine and it can change the subject, right? So so when they think about artificial intelligence, they're talking about a conversational intelligence that has an opinion of its own and some ability to be effective as a social entity. The things that we're seeing today being called artificial intelligence are largely great exercises in statistics. Part of what's happened is the price of computer processing has fallen almost to zero. Price of storage has fallen almost to zero. So it's possible today to do things that nobody could imagine doing five years ago. And by that, I mean you can build a model of the world and then run it a million times and use the answer that comes out of that long, complicated calculation to make a prediction about how the world's going to be tomorrow and get some interesting answers. And so there are hundreds, I think, now. I I think my list is 142, but but I'm starting to notice that I'm missing a couple. Hundreds of companies that claim some kind of AI capability, but what they're really doing is building mathematical models of the world and then running those models millions of times to end up with predictions. And there are some interesting, um, I mean, you highlight, again, what is it, about 142, you said, in your report, right? Yep. There's there's actually a great story there. So when we started the report in May of last year, 
we could identify 40. By the time we finished the research for the report in early October, there were about 70. Today, it's 143. So 90 days after that, it's 143. And we imagine that by the time we're doing a second version in the summer, by the time we finish the research in early June, we think they're going to be 250. And that's just going to continue to grow. And you're going to see, and I know you talked about this a little bit too, you're going to see just like in any new wave of, of technology startups, you're going to see a lot of failure. And that's important because they're also the ones that are paving the way for uh, future development and insights. And eventually, maybe the very beginnings of true AI at some point in recruitment and HR, don't you think? Sure, but it's going to be a lot further away than yeah. most people think. I, yeah. I, I, I'm looking at 30 or 40 years to get to AI. But sure. five years from now, there won't be a piece of software that doesn't have a predictive capacity. Right. Right. And there's some really interesting stuff happening. Really interesting stuff. Like Kronos, who is an old, I think they're 40 years old. Are they that old, really? Yeah, yeah. 40 years old, billion dollars, 7,000 clients. They do scheduling and timekeeping. Right. And they specialize, one of their specialties is hospital scheduling. So a typical small hospital has like 500 people on the, on the staff, and they have about 20 shifts a week that they have to schedule those 500 people through. Based on the KPAs that you're trying to achieve, Kronos will look at your draft schedule and recommend changes. So, for instance, we'll bring Sally Van Platten back over here to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And, and Sal, you know, nurses, one of the things people don't know about nurses is when they are evaluated for, for patient satisfaction, the way that they give shots is a primary driver of patient satisfaction. And mm -hmm. some nurses are great at giving shots and some are not. So if the, if the hospital is trying to increase its patient satisfaction scores and it's flu shot season and you have a flu shot clinic open on Thursday, you want to schedule the best nurse possible into that thing because that'll have the greatest impact on the patient satisfaction score. You can set up the Kronos tool so that it examines that question for every decision you make about staffing and organize a staffing plan for this particular shift that's designed to optimize the patient satisfaction score. Ah, that's fascinating. Right, and it'll do it. So you give it a draft and it right. recommends changes to, but to, to give you a forecast higher patient satisfaction score. That's awesome. But it's not artificial intelligence. Right. It's sure. it's being able to model the schedule a million different ways at the at the push of a button and turn it into the best possible schedule. So that said, you recommend some questions that TA leaders and their teams sh should be asking when they're vetting these what you call intelligent software solutions, right? So can you can you give us one or two questions that you recommend that are asked of the of the solution providers? Well, well. <clears throat> so I want to start by saying. If they're telling you that it's AI, they're not telling you anything about the, the thing itself. You don't care, actually, whether or not it's AI. You care what it does. So if you'll notice, when I described what the Kronos software does, I didn't tell you about AI. That would be how it's built. I told you what it does. Right. Right. So 
the first question you want to ask a vendor is, what does this really do? The second question that you want to ask is, if I disagree with it, what do I do? Because because these models are only 80% accurate, and they're built on a whole bunch of assumptions, and it may be that you have a better idea of what actually makes sense than the machine ever will. Machines can only count. Right. They, they can only do ones and zeros currently. It'll be a little different when there's quantum computing, but but they can only do ones and zeros. And a lot of what happens in the world is is analog. It's not digital. And so a, a digital forecast is suspect. Now, none of the companies are saying this currently, but the most important thing that you can do when you have a system that's making detailed recommendations is understand what to do when it makes a mistake, and it will. So then the third question you want to ask is, how many people do I need to manage this thing? Because since you you don't know when it's going to make a mistake, you have to be staffed to handle the mistakes. You can't buy a system, and when it breaks, discover that you need 10 people to handle the mistakes and go find them, or you're, you may as well not buy the thing. So, so there's some actual total cost of owning the tool that's bigger than the software license, and the vendor should be able to tell you what that is and guarantee their recommendations about that. And managing the mistakes, some of which can be quite costly to an organization. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, that's, that's always refreshing, John, uh, talking with you. always learn so many things. Besides you working really hard with your team at HR Examiner, what are you doing when you're hardly working, John, if that's ever the case? What do you do outside of work? Well, I tell you what, on my my birthday last year, my kids chipped in and bought me a cheap little guitar, and it reawakened my um, guitar playing. I've been been playing for almost 50 years, and um, I've started practicing set pieces for recitals as a result of that and i'm enjoying a guitar renaissance well nice and i'm I'm trying to get myself back on the skins i've got an electronic drum kit and i've been self-taught for a few years now and got to get back to to practicing again maybe we could do a jam session together oh that's great let's do that that would be fun actually yep Sure. So listen, lastly, John, how do we learn more about HR Examiner and and the research that you've done, especially the one uh, about predictive tools in HR tech today? Well, if you go to hrexaminer.com, it's really hard to miss it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's an ad on on a lot of pages. We, We put a lot of energy. The report itself is the hardcore part of the analysis is about 35 pages long. And then there are 60 pages of very detailed reviews of vendors. Right. The report retails for $299, and you can buy it at the website. And uh, I'd love for you to do that. Yeah, and I would too as well to all the listeners out there. So I highly recommend it. John, thanks so much again for being on Working Tech. And I look forward to seeing you again in person. All right, good. See you soon. We'll be back with more Working Tech soon. Until then, be good and work better.
Working Tech is sponsored by Iceni Marketing. Iceni helps vendors in the HR, talent, and tech arena share better content and reach bigger business markets. Learn more at IcenniMarketing.com.